I'm Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and you're listening to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church, a caring community connected through God, loving and serving all along life's journey. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10:15 a.m. in our sanctuary at 55 Rhodes Avenue, next to Bird Park in East Walpole, Massachusetts. You can also join us from anywhere online via our live stream by visiting facebook.com slash churchbythepark. For more information about our church and its ministries, visit churchbythepark.org. Now here's this week's message. Now, our first scripture from the book of Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But then he came to himself and said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Our second scripture reading picks up in the Gospel of Luke to finish out this story, this parable of the prodigal son. Let's continue listening for God's word for us here today. Now the man's elder son was out in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called on one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he assured, answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The old saying goes that not all who wander are lost, but some are, right? They have to be. Some, perhaps even most who wander, get lost. It is often quite the explicit purpose of wandering is to go and get lost, to lose oneself, figuratively or geographically. Many do wander away and never return. Otherwise, it wouldn't even be worth saying, right, that not all who wander are lost. Well, this parable of the prodigal son is really a parable about getting lost. It's the third in a trio of parables in Luke 15. The first is the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the parable of the lost coin. And the last one is the parable of the prodigal son. But it should really be called the parable of the lost son, I think. The first parable about the sheep, uh, Jesus says there is one sheep out of a hundred in the flock that wanders away and gets lost. So what does the shepherd do? They leave the 99 and go and find the one that is lost. The next parable is about a lost coin. It's one coin out of 10. So, so the stakes have been raised. Instead of one out of 100 sheep, now it's one out of 10 coins. Surely the coin's owner would get out a lamp and get down on the floor and feel around between the floorboards or, or peek under the couch, do whatever it took to find that lost coin. And now we have this parable of the lost son, one of two sons. The stakes could not be higher. But the parable is called the prodigal son. Do you know what the word prodigal means? I always thought that it meant like irresponsible or just like bad, <laughs> the bad son, right? Yeah, or angry, yeah. Favored, yes. So, so what it actually means is, is extravagant or, or uh, expensive. The prodigal son is the one who lives a lavish and expensive lifestyle, right? According to his brother, he's blown his whole inheritance on drinking and whoring in some other country. But interestingly enough, that word prodigal does not appear in the parable itself. The closest we get to it is the description of what happens to the younger son when he leaves in verse 13. It says he took his inheritance, gathered up all his belongings, and traveled to some distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. The old King James uh, uses the phrase riotous living to describe this. Uh, another translation, the New International, calls it wild living or reckless living. The New King James Version says prodigal living. It's the only translation that I found that does. Uh, so today I want to give you the APS translation. That's the Aaron Pratt Shepherd Version. <laughs> I went to the Greek text, and, and there it uses this phrase, zdoan asotos. Zdoan is a simple Greek word. It just means living. Um, but that other word, asotos, uh, that's the one that keeps get, getting translated all these different ways. So 
I got out my big old Greek dictionary, the one that I keep around for just such an occasion, and I flipped through it, and I came to asotos, and I learned that this comes from the Greek verb uh, sozdo, which is the verb for to save. Uh, the prefix a in Greek is a negation, just like when you say an atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God. So a sotos is, roughly speaking, unsavable. So my translation of this verse is, he burned through his wealth, leading a life beyond saving. He's not unlike many who have experienced a series of setbacks, this, this younger son. He wandered away. He wandered away, he went it alone, and he got lost. And not just sheep over the hill lost, not coin under the couch lost, he was lost and beyond saving, the text tells us. The parable says that just when all of his money ran out, a famine hit the land. And what a time, what a time to be penniless when the laws of supply and demand dictate that food is now going to become incredibly expensive. So he is penniless, he is hungry, and so he, he gets a job, but really all he wants is just to, to even eat the slop that he is feeding to these pigs that he is supposed to be tending. It is quite the fall. In some ways, it's not different now for many families. We live in a time where food has become much more expensive, gas more expensive, a home more expensive, and those who don't have food or shelter or a means of transportation, it makes it that much harder to then get those things once you're in that situation. It's this downward spiral that drags folks down into the depths where they just need just a hand up the mention of pigs here reminds me of another story in, in Luke's gospel. It's a story of Jesus encountering another person who is lost. Once when Jesus was traveling in the land of the Gerasenes, he came upon a man who was roaming around a graveyard, who was screaming and ranting incoherently day and night. Today we would say he had a mental disorder, probably something like schizophrenia, um, but in that time, he was called a demoniac, someone who was possessed by a demon. And so Jesus confronts this man and the demon that is possessing him, and he asks what its name is, and it answers legion. Legion, which means a thousand or just many. This, ma this man doesn't have one demon. He has a legion of them rolling around inside of him. It isn't just one thing that is tormenting him, but many things. A childhood trauma, perhaps. Or maybe it's the loss of a job, or maybe it's, it's food, a famine, the rising cost of living. Maybe it is the terror of war, or maybe, maybe all of these things together are persecuting him. His was a living death by a thousand cuts to his soul. Because of his many struggles and his pains, people had tried to chain him up or keep him under guard, but, but really it was, it was not to protect him, it was to protect them from him. But each time this man had broken away until finally he, he went to hide where no one would come near, in the graveyard. 
He was there, a dead man walking among the tombs, lost. But then Jesus comes. And not only does Jesus uh, identify the source of this man's torment, he casts out these many demons. He casts them out into a herd of pigs, and the pigs run into the sea and are drowned. They are separated from this man now as far as death is from life, as far as east is from west. It reminds me of what it says in Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear them. For he knows how we were made, and he remembers that we are dust. That power of God's compassion that the psalm talks about was working in and through Jesus to restore this demoniac to life, this person who was beyond saving. Because the love of Christ is nothing other than that grace and compassion that the psalmist writes about. And so Jesus says to the man, he says, Go to your home and declare how much God has done for you. That is his charge to him once he has been healed, once he has been saved. Even when he had been written off by everyone, everyone who knew him, everyone who loved him, even when he appeared to be a dead man walking beyond saving, the garrison demoniac was saved. And so the good news in that story is the same as the good news in this passage, this parable of the lost son here today, that despite all appearances to the contrary, even what the text says, no one, no matter how lost they are, is beyond saving. Heather King, in her memoir, Holy Desperation, writes that Whatever our state or our situation, the worst thing is often the crisis that jolts us into another way of being, a death to our egos from which we emerge, viewing the universe from a new vantage point. King's memoir is a story of addiction and redemption. She describes living in a haze of alcoholism for 20 years of her life and then finally hitting that rock bottom where she was jolted into treatment she says that the people at the treatment center didn't evangelize her, but they did mention that you might want to make some kind of effort to connect with a power greater than ourselves, a God, so to speak, of our own understanding. Of course, she goes on to say, this all sounded terribly hokey and unsophisticated to me. But I made the effort anyway, which consisted for the most part in simply being open to the idea of God, open to the idea of salvation. They said you don't have to get on your knees, though, though some of us do. And so in my tepid, self-conscious way, I did that too. And it was there, King goes on to write, in that posture of prayer that her body and mind was open to the reality of her deep longing for God. Kneeling, she says, our heads are close to our hearts. Kneeling, we feel our exhaustion. Kneeling, we're returned to the height of children. And didn't Christ say that we must receive the kingdom as little children? 
This past Friday, I was having a particularly frustrating day. Uh, Last week when I went away to uh, Orlando for an academic conference, I had like the worst travel experience I've had in a very long time. Just flight delay after flight delay. And you know, I tried to take it all in stride, but by the time I came back, I just had felt drained. And then this whole week, it felt like things had piled up and, and like I was just Like I was just falling further and further behind, and I knew, I knew there were things I could do to make myself feel better. Take one little step at a time, right? Exercise, uh, uh, eat good food, get a good night's rest, read scripture, pray, talk to friends, all these sorts of things that we know can make us feel better. But, But during that time, I just, again and again, I didn't want to do any of that. I, I wallowed away these days feeling worse and worse, trying to, trying to figure out what I was going to do until it all came to a head at the end of the week and the weight just crashed down on me. And, and I made a plan. I said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to talk to Whitney about all of this and I'm going to lean on her strength because she always is there to set me straight. For better or worse, for me. But she's always for better. And so I made this plan, and I I went home, and I walked into the kitchen, and the first person who saw me was not Whitney. It was Jet, our little almost four-year-old. And he lit up and smiled at me and ran to me and said, Daddy, you're home. And he went to give me a hug, and instead of just standing there, as I usually do, I kneeled down, and he wrapped his little tiny arms around me, and I felt so small in that moment next to him. And yet, when he gave me this little kiss on the cheek and I was hanging on to him, there was more grace in that little hug than I could ever ask or imagine. Kneeling down, perhaps that is what that younger son did. In the muck and the mire of the pig pen, he kneeled down and realized how small he had become, his body and his mind reduced by famine. And there on his knees, he conceived a plan. He, he, he didn't conceive of some grand scheme or some next big thing. Instead, he just, he just came up with this meager plan just to return to his father's house, not to ask for anything more than a job. Not to be restored to where he once was, but just enough to get by. What more could he ask for, after all? He was beyond saving. I think sometimes we don't pray prayers big enough for God. That's one of the lessons of this story, I think. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes that the love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. It can't be measured. Its length and breadth and height and depth are more than we could ever ask or imagine. We pray for the minimum, but God delivers miracles. And that is what we see here in that moment when the prodigal son is is dragging his messy, skinny frame down the long road to his father's house, preparing himself to confess, to seek the bare minimum, only to look up. And what does he see? His father, completely undignified, running towards him, his arms open and an embrace. 
You see, his father had been watching out for him this whole time. He had been watching and waiting, even as the son has forgotten his home, even as he had forgotten himself, right? It says it was only when he came to himself that he realized he had to go home. But the father never forgot. That whole time, as the father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion. He knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that his son is probably not in a good way. And that probably broke his heart day after day after day, wondering where his son was lost. But when that moment came, he ran to him. He ran to him. In God's eyes, God sees us as so much more than dust. And so when we see with God's eyes, we see that no one is beyond saving. That every addict, every person experiencing homelessness, every person fighting with demons of their mind or their body, every one of these people is someone's child. Everyone has a parent, and even if their earthly parents have neglected or ignored or even abused them, everyone has a heavenly parent who sees through the grime and the grim living that has been etched upon folks' bodies and sees them as beloved with eyes of compassion and this boundless grace. No one is beyond saving, not even the prodigal son. The father recognizes that. Jesus recognize that. And so as followers of Christ, we are called to look upon our neighbors and recognize it as well. But how often, how often do we cast our eyes sideways at such folks, turning away, maybe even harboring resentment for them in our hearts? How many of us, like the elder brother, have thought that it is a slight that they should get the handouts, while we, the good, the hardworking, dutiful folks, we have to earn our daily bread, but they're just given it. I, I know it's hard to admit, but sometimes we resent the lost who are found. Sometimes we are like the older brother. In fact, that resentment is precisely what keeps us from creating a society where no one is lost, where there are enough homes for everyone and enough beds and enough food and enough wealth to go around. A society where the broken can find healing, where there is a place for them. And that is what Jesus called for. That is how Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven, the beloved community of God. And yet, and yet the compassion required to realize that vision is often dismissed. To say such things all sounds terribly hokey and unsophisticated. Look, I am a philosophy professor. I read theology books for fun. I scroll through Greek lexicons and delight in that. I am all about sophistication. But all of that, all of that is worth nothing if it comes at the expense of compassion. All the wisdom in the world is dust in the wind unless it is rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. 
Given the choice between sophistication and compassion, resentment or repentance, the choice is clear. We choose compassion. We choose repentance because we are dust, but so much more than dust. We are, as Martin Luther said, forever saints and sinners. Theologian Serene Jones says, we are are called to pull life out of the rubble sweaty and exhausted, sinners and saints, none of it pure, every inch of it straining towards meaning, and all of it graced. Even when we trust in Christ, we do not stand in the place of the Savior. We are going to have to confront the dark and the grim. Our faithfulness and trust in Christ doesn't mean that we somehow get to rise above all of that, that we rise above our fellows who are suffering. In fact, it's just the opposite. The truest act of faith is not to get on your high horse. It is to get down on your knees. The elder brother lives his life resenting the perceived and real failure of another and sees it getting rewarded in a way that isn't deserved. But we are called upon to relent from that feeling of judgment and resentment and recognize our own failures, the limits of what we can achieve on our own. You see, the lost son thought that he could go it alone. That was his original sin. He thought he could just take the money and run and he would be all right. He got lost and he paid dearly for that but he was not too lost for God. And that is cause for celebration. In the gospel, whenever the lost are found, what comes next is this invitation. Rejoice with me. In Luke 15, 6, in the parable of the lost sheep, when the shepherd finds the sheep, he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Again, Luke 15, 9, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And here, Luke 15, 32, we had to celebrate and rejoice, the father says to the brother. We had to do it. We had to celebrate. We had to rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost. He was beyond saving. And now he is found. Rejoice. Rejoice, for no one is beyond saving. The addict, the unhoused, the refugee, the enemy, this brother or sister of yours who, has, who was dead has come to life, the Father says. They who were lost have been found. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Thank you for listening. I hope that God's word has come alive and blessed you today. If you want more information about Union Congregational Church, once again, feel free to come and visit us on Sunday morning or online at our website, churchbythepark.org.